Our God is an awesome God, isn't he? Thank you, praise team, for that reminder of how awesome and great our Lord is. We're continuing our journey through the Gospel of John this morning. Let me just say, we're going to pause John after this week. And sorry, next Sunday we're going to do a five-week series called What is Biblical Community? Over this, I guess, about ten months or so of being your pastor, I've been talking to you guys about your kind of assessment of the health and life of the church. I keep hearing from people, we long for deeper community. We long for more shared life. And so before we just hand you some program and say, go sign up for a life group or something, we want a chance to study the Word of God together. And what does the Word of God say about what it means to share life in community? Because community is not just a Sunday school class or a life group. It's not just a program of the church. It's a whole approach and attitudes towards how we understand God and who He's made us to be and how we're to relate to one another. So starting next Sunday, we're going to do five weeks on what is biblical community. And towards the end of that series, we'll have a chance for all of you to get in the homes of some of our key leaders in the church to talk back to us about how the Lord is speaking to you through the Word of God and what that looks like for us as a church going forward. So we appreciate your prayers as we start moving into that. And then when those five weeks are done, we'll jump right back into John with John chapter 11. But this is our 31st sermon in the Gospel of John. And we are coming to the end of John chapter 10 today. And I'll be finishing that up, Lord willing, this morning. Well, as we look at John chapter 10, if you want to go ahead and be turning there, we'll be picking up in verse 16. But I want to ask you this question as we start. And that is, what is it in life that makes you feel most loved and most encouraged? What is it in life that makes you feel the most loved and the most encouraged? There's a lot of possibilities of what you could give for that answer. But I would contend at the core of a lot of those answers was what makes us feel loved and encouraged is when we're being pursued by someone else. This can take lots of different ways. If you're at work and been working really hard and your boss notices your hard work and gets you that pat on the back or that affirmation of good job or even better yet goes, here's a raise because you're working so hard, you feel encouraged, you feel loved because you are being pursued in a sense by your boss who notices what you've done and is pursuing you to let you know that. Think about married, if you're married, if you're married. Remember that initial pursuit as you're pursuing one another and the joy in your heart, this other person likes you and there's potential this could lead to marriage and that joy in your heart and that you enjoyed, you felt loved, you were encouraged, you were built up because someone was pursuing you. But not just in marriage, in friendships in general. Whenever you first moved to Montgomery, was there someone who welcomed you? If you were a student in school, someone said, hey, come sit at the table with me. They pursued you. Or your neighbor said, hey, come eat dinner at our house. They pursued you. Or they said, hey, come to the park with your kids. Let's play together. They pursued you. And friends, when someone notices us, welcomes us, pursues us like that, we feel loved and encouraged. But there's something that's even better than just being pursued. That's a pursuit that lasts. When your boss doesn't give you that one-time pat on the back, but ongoing is affirming you and ongoing giving you raises even better, right? You know, but you're continually being pursued in that sense. In marriage, it's, even, it's great when you're pursued initially, but it's even better when 20 years later, your spouse is still pursuing you just as hard as the day you met. It's even better. Or as in friendships, when 10, 20 years later, you're still like brothers and sisters to one another because the pursuit is ongoing. Well, friends, there's something even better than an earthly pursuit. That's something that we as followers of Christ can experience. For those people who believe And if we've seen through the Gospel of John, belief is not just intellectual. We've seen week after week through these last 31 weeks that belief is being made a child of God, that belief is receiving grace upon grace, that belief is receiving a radical transformation from above. It's being satisfied in Jesus. It's taking Jesus into our inmost being. It's desiring to obey God. It's staying in God's Word. It's loving God's glory. Basically, it's our life is different. If we really believe, our life is different. For those of us who have believed, friends, there's something much better than an earthly pursuit. That's the pursuit of God on our lives. 
And so before we get to John 10 this morning, I want to show you what I believe our main idea of this text is for the morning, because I want us to think about this from John 10. This is simply this for this morning. Believer, be encouraged. Jesus pursues and holds you. Believer, be encouraged. Jesus pursues you, and Jesus holds you. As we come to John 10, we're coming to another rich text. Friends, this is just a continuation of what CJ preached on last week with Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the door to the sheepfold there, the gate to it. And what a beautiful imagery we saw last week of what Jesus has done for us on that. And friends, I'm so thankful for CJ's faithfulness to share the word of God. And I hope you realize what a blessing it is to be in a church with so many gifted teachers of the word here. This is not the norm in church life in America. To have so many men who can stand and preach and teach the word of God so faithfully in this church. I hope you realize what a blessing we have here in that. But we're continuing the conversation of what CJ did last week, where he even pointed out to us that Jesus is the good shepherd, gives us safety, gives us a daily relationship, and gives us peace. And how does he do that? Well, he pursues us. And so as we come to John chapter 10, I want you to listen for the encouragement that we find as followers of Christ. Listen for his pursuit of us. Listen for him holding us. But as well, listen for the reality of those who do not believe, because it's very sobering and it's a warning as well. So we come to John chapter 10. We're going to pick up this morning in verse 16. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? I'll be reading out the English Standard Version, the ESV. John chapter 10, starting in verse 16. This is Jesus speaking. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Verse 22. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Verse 31. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which one of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are God's? They called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken. If you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you're blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God. If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained." And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. Would you pray with me? 
Father, we thank you for your word to us. We are grateful you've given us your word, that you've revealed yourself to us. And God, I pray this day as we look at the end of John 10, God, would you help us understand your pursuit of us. And God, may we marvel at your kindness to us, your love for us, and may we find safety and security in your presence, not because of us, but because of what you have done. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So again, believer, be encouraged. Jesus pursues and holds you. Now, first of all, let's look at the historical context. What is going on here? And I love the fact in John, John tells us not just activities. He tells us where they're taking place and why. Look back in verses 22 through 24 real quickly so we see where it's going on here. Verse 22, at that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. For this is taking place at the feast of, this feast that they're describing here for us in verse 22, the Feast of Dedication. This was a feast to celebrate the rededication of the temple. After the temple had been defiled in 164 B.C., it was reconsecrated, rededicated, is unto the Lord. It was a remembrance for them of the last deliverance they had had. And it was a longing for future deliverance. Friend, this feast is still celebrated today. And it's a feast that we call Hanukkah. And some of your Jewish friends still celebrate. That's the same feast that is taking place at this point. And I hope you see the significance. This is a feast that celebrates deliverance and a feast that longs for more deliverance. And don't miss this. The deliverer is standing right before them. And it's the feast where they're longing for a deliverer in this. And notice the question they asked Jesus in verse 24. How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Friends, this is not an everyday question. I doubt in the last week anyone in this room went to someone, Are you the Christ? Tell me plainly. Why are they asking this question? Because they know there's something different about Jesus. They understand there's something about him that cannot be explained by human logic here. But... He's not the type of Messiah they hoped for. He's not what they dreamed, what they had envisioned. And they don't believe him, though they ask the question. Now, before we get into the text here, there's something that's really important to realize in, this, in the context of where we are in John. This is the final encounter of Jesus in Jerusalem prior to the triumphal entry. Jesus departs from right here, and he will not return to Jerusalem until the triumphal entry Palm Sunday. This is also the final breach with the Jewish leaders. We've seen the tension building over the last several chapters of John. This is the final breach where there's a parting of ways as they plan to kill him. But also don't miss this. This is his final offer of salvation to these Jewish leaders. This is the final time that he will plead with them to believe his works, to believe in him. There's no more pleading with them after this point. And in the midst of this unbelief of this crowd here and this final encounter in Jerusalem prior to what we call Holy Week happening, we see something amazing. And that is for us as believers, Jesus pursues us and Jesus holds us. So I want you to see this idea of Jesus pursuing us. It's in several places in our text here. Let's start with verse 16 on this one. Verse 16, Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there'll be one flock and one shepherd. As CJ showed us last week, sheep is an imagery for followers. And notice the wording here on this. He doesn't say, I have others, I hope that there'll be other sheep who follow me one day. There's no longing hope here. There is a certainty in this, not of, well, maybe one day people from other groups will follow me as well. Jesus says very plainly in verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Notice he says, I have. This is present tense from people who have yet to believe. He already calls his own. He already claims possession of them. People who have not even been born, he's saying, I have them. They, they belong to me. 
And what does he say about what he's going to do with these that belong to him? Also in verse 16, I must bring them also. I must bring them. This is a divine necessity. Again, it's not hope. Jesus is not sitting here in some passive individual going, I hope some people around the world believe my message and come to me one day. He's saying, I already own these sheep, though they don't even know me yet. They may not even be born yet, but I already own them. They are mine, and I must, I must of divine necessity bring them to myself. This is essential to God's plans for him, and there's certainty in what's going to happen, how the sheep will respond. At the end of verse 16, he says, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Why are they going to listen to his voice? Because he has pursued them. He is pursuing them in this. They don't know it yet, but he's pursuing them. Many of them are not even born yet, but he is already pursuing them in this. And that includes those who are not of the Jewish background, of the other fold, the sheep of the other fold. This is CJ alluded to last week. This includes the Gentiles. That would be us as well. And we better be very thankful he had sheep of the other fold or we would all be in trouble today. He had sheep of the other fold, and he's brought us in also. People who have yet to even hear, he's already claiming on this. And friends, with that said, this is an important reminder to us. There is never, ever in any way in the Christian faith room for racism or prejudice or ethnic superiority in any way. Because Jesus is bringing sheep from every ethnic group, every tribe, every race in the world together. He is calling these sheep from other, from other folds here. They will certainly listen. They will certainly believe. And friends, around God's throne one day will be people from every tongue, tribe, nation, and language, according to Revelation 7, 9, singing his praise. Friends, there is no room in the body of Christ for any type of racism or any type of superiority because he is calling sheep from every tribe in the world. And they will all be united in, as it says here in verse 16, one flock and one shepherd. Why? Because it's his pursuit of them, and it will certainly happen. You see his pursuit as well in verse 26 here in this chapter. Look down to verses 26 through 28. Jesus says to them, But you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, friends, when I read this, this doesn't read the way I would have written it if I had written the Bible. I don't think it reads the way most of us would have written it. Look at verse 26. It does not do the order that I think a lot of us would expect. He does not say, you are not of my flock, you are not my sheep, because you do not believe. I think that's what we would kind of expect to say, but rather it's the exact opposite. You do not believe. Why? Because you are not of my flock. Friends, this is a reminder to us that belief in Jesus is not natural for anyone. Those of us who name the name of Christ, we can't pat ourselves on the back and think, man, I am so smart, I figured out who this Jesus is. We can't give ourselves credit and look upon the lost around us going, man, those poor people, they only had the knowledge I had on the inside. No. Friends, Following Jesus is not natural for anyone. It is God's grace in pursuit of us. It is a work of God's grace that we believe in this. Again, verse 26, you do not believe because you're not part of my flock. Again, verse 27 is not the way we would probably write it either. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. We would expect the other. We expect they follow me, therefore I know them. But it is instead, I know them and then they follow me on this. And friends, this idea of Jesus knowing his flock, and this applies to those sheep of the fold he has not yet brought in that he will bring in. That is you and me. It's already in his view when he, write, when he says these words of this. And friends, lest we think this is mistaken or some John didn't get it right on this, we see this idea of God pursuing us, not us pursuing God, God pursuing us throughout all of Scripture. You see in Ephesians 1, 4 where it tells us that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. 
We see it in the book of Revelation, chapter 13, verse 8, where it talks about the names being written in the Lamb's book of life again before the foundation of the world. Friends, Jesus is already pursuing his sheep before he even makes the world on that. And friends, let that encourage us. If you are in Christ, before you were born, Jesus was already pursuing you. Before he went to the cross, he already had you in view and he was pursuing you. Before he even spoke the universe into being, he was already pursuing you. Because he had you in mind to pursue you before the foundation of the world. My friends, Jesus' pursuit of us is not just a past tense experience when we came to faith in Christ. It's a present reality for us. It's not Jesus pursued us. It is Jesus pursues us. Present tenseness. Look back at verses 27 and 28. And notice what it does not read. It does not read, my sheep heard my voice and I knew them and they followed me. And so we talk about following Christ so often time when people, when we share our testimony, we talk about what happened in the past and we stopped. But friends, this is, a, this is a present tense experience of eternal life that has come now. Verse 27, my sheep hear, current, currently are hearing and keep on hearing my voice. I know them and they follow and they keep on following me. This is present tense for us. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Believer, be encouraged. Jesus has pursued you even before the foundation of the world, but he is pursuing you if you're in Christ right now. Find encouragement in that. But it's not just that he pursues us. He also holds us. Be encouraged. Jesus pursues us and Jesus holds us as well. Look at verses 28 and 29, an imagery that is used for us here as he speaks. Verse 28, Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Friends, think about this for just a minute. When you were a kid and you got scared and you ran to your parents for comfort, whether it's a big thunderstorm or whether you'd had a bad dream or a nightmare, when you run to your parents, did you run to your parents going, Mommy and Daddy, I'm scared. I want to hold you. And what do you do? You, when my kids come running into our bedroom in the middle of the night and the thunderstorm or a bad dream, Daddy, hold me. They don't come in presuming that they could hold, they could hold on to me. They're asking me to hold them. Why? Because I'm bigger than them. Because I'm stronger than them. And because I know more then they know. And so the cry of a child is not, I want to hold you, it's hold me on this. Friends, I think as well the imagery, football season is upon us. Some of us watched some football yesterday. And I remember when I was a little kid, my parents started taking me to Jordan-Hare Stadium around four or five years old. And when I would go as a four or five-year-old, I'm only about this tall, those crowds of 80,000 people shoving in the stadium are a little bit overwhelming as a kid. You can't see much. You only see people from the waist down and you just see feet everywhere and you don't have a clue where you're going. And it can be terrifying, but I wasn't scared as a little four- and five-year-old going to Jordan-Hare. Why? Not because I was holding on to my dad. If that was my hope, friends, I would get bumped aside by the next drunk fan trying to get in the stadium behind me. There'd be no hope of that. But why? My dad's hand, that is much bigger than my hand, had a death grip on my arm, and I knew I wasn't going anywhere. No one could get me out of his hand. He had a strong grip on But more than that, my father, who was taller than me, could see over the crowd, and he knew where we were going. And I could trust him on that. Friends, if we get that as a child-to-parent relationship, why then do we miss that with God? Why are we trying to hang on to God when He is much bigger than us, much stronger than us, and He is the one who sees not just what's around us now, but He sees everything past, present, and future and knows where we're going. And He's saying, I am holding you, friends. Yet somehow we want to give ourselves credit and our pride and act like we're the ones holding on to God. Friends, it's not that. It's God is holding on to us. Again, listen to the imagery of verses 28 and 29. 
I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. He says no one will snatch. This is certainty. There's no question. It's not like God's in heaven going, man, I hope that person's going to be okay till the end. This is certainty. No one will snatch. But it's not just a certainty no one will. It's not even a possibility. If we belong to God, it's not even possible for us to be snatched out of his hand because he who is mightier than all is holding us. Verse 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hands. It's just not just no one is going to. No one is even able to because God is so much bigger. But don't miss this imagery as well. Jesus is holding us and the father is holding us. They both are holding us here. In verse 28, Jesus says, No one will snatch them out of my hand. In verse 29, he says, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one's able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. The Father is holding us, and the Son is also holding us. Friends, be encouraged. If you're in Christ, God the Father and God the Son are both together holding you on in every moment of your life. And friends, this is not surprising. We see the unity of the Father, Son, and Spirit all throughout the Gospel of John. Look back at verses 17 and 18. Look for the unity of the Father and the Son working together and holding us in all they do. Verse 17, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down in my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Friends, God the Father and God the Son are working in unison here to accomplish their purposes on this. There's a unity of wills, and the Father loves the Son for this. We see it again in verse 30, this incredible proclamation. Remember, the Jews have just asked Jesus, are you the Messiah? And here's the kind of culmination of his answer, verse 30, I and the Father are one. They got a lot more than they bargained for when they asked Jesus if he was the Messiah. He didn't say, yep, I'm the Messiah. He claims absolute equality with God the Father here. And then verse 38, we see it as well. He said, But if I do them, the works, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Jesus is claiming absolute unity with the Father in all of his works and what he is doing here. And so believers, be encouraged. God the Father and God the Son are together pursuing you and are together holding you and you have nothing to fear. But like we've seen throughout John, friends, this is not a universal promise for every person on the planet. This is something for believers. Friends, there is no middle ground here. Either we believe that Christ is who he says he is, that he is God, that he is unified with the Father as we've seen here. We either believe him as God himself and we submit to him as our Lord and follow him or we walk away and reject him as being some phony and we live for ourselves. There's no middle ground allowed there's no middle ground of saying, well, you're just a good person, Jesus. I want to follow your teachings, but I'm not going to believe that you're really God. There, there's no room for that. Either he is God or he's crazy. There's no room for us either way to go except for either way. And friends, we know which way the Jewish leaders go. They look at Jesus and say, this man has a demon. And they reject it. They will not follow him. They will not submit to him. They will not understand that God pursues and that God holds. And this Jesus is himself God. I want you to see their rejection of Jesus. We're not going to elaborate on it because we've seen it chapter after chapter recently, but it's important for this to be reminded and to see the warning of this. Look at the Jews' rejection of Jesus. He actually highlights it for them. Verse 25 and 26, John 10, 25. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. 
but you do not believe because you're not part of my flock. Friends, the root issue here is the unbelief in their heart. They have seen his works. They've seen water changed to wine. They've seen a nobleman's son healed. They've seen a lame man healed. They've seen Jesus feed the 5,000. They've seen a blind man just in the, the days before get healed of his blindness. They've seen evidence after evidence after evidence that this man is not a normal man. And they come face to face with those works, and yet in their hearts they refuse to believe. They've not just seen the works, they've heard the words of Jesus as well. Verse 33, the Jews answered him. What an indictment they put upon themselves here. It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. Friends, they get that Jesus is claiming to be God. They get that he's claiming to be the Messiah. And because of that, they reject it. They refuse to believe. Now, we're not going to elaborate on this morning, but when I was reading the text, when you got to verses 34 to 36... If this read seemed a little bit strange to you where Jesus is talking to them and saying, you know, in the law, God says you are gods. If he called them gods, then why can't he be called son of God? If you're reading that scratching your head, that's okay. It's confusing for us. What is this? This is a rabbinical argument, rabbinical meaning of the rabbis. This is a type of argument that would be very common to the rabbis. Jesus is contextualizing a response to the people of his day, to this particular group of his day, and the type of argument that they themselves would do around the synagogue on this. Friends, we are not rabbis, and we don't live in the synagogue, and so it doesn't seem as culturally applicable to us today. But what is going on here in this is Jesus is quoting Psalm 82. And as best I can make sense of it in our context here to explain our context, in the scriptures, God refers to earthly judges at one place as gods with a lowercase g. Not God as him, but gods. They're working under God's authority as authorities to judge, and they're judging wickedly. They're judging un justly in that. And Jesus is basically giving them uh, an argument saying, listen, if they can be called gods with a lowercase g, even though they're so flawed and so messed up in their work, why do you take issue with me who is perfectly sanctified, perfectly holy, who is himself God being called the son of God? What's, what's the problem here? And so he's just giving them an argument this, in their context, in their culture, to get to the point of you have to believe and your arguments are, are, are really problematic here. It's what he's showing them in a culturally relevant way for them. But what's important in transitioning to us and to his call to them is what he, what he says following in verses 37 and 38. Because listen to this, friends. This is the final invitation Jesus will give to these Jewish leaders to believe. Verse 37, he says, If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, again, these people have seen these works. If I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. He gives them one last appeal right here going, listen, you say you don't believe me, you're going to stone me because I claim to be God. You got that right. If you're not going to believe that, go look at these works that you can't explain and realize I can only do this if the Father is in me and let that be something to open your eyes to see who I am. Their last appeal they get from Jesus. And what is their response? Verse 39, they sought to arrest him. But he escaped their hands. He escaped because his time had not yet come, though it's approaching quickly on this. Well, friends, it's not all hopeless here because others do believe. We see in John 40 through 42 here that he leaves and goes across the Jordan. And because God had been working through John the Baptist, verse 42, many believed in him there. So friends, as we come to this halfway point in the gospel of John, we're coming to this major transition. Jesus is now departing Jerusalem, giving his final appeal to these Jewish leaders. The final breach with him has happened. He's appealed to his works. He's appealed to his words. And they won't listen to him on this. He leaves here 
until and will not return until the triumphal entry on this. But in this, as he pleads with them, as he speaks to them, he gives us this incredible truth that for believers we can be encouraged because he pursues us and holds us. My friends, that leads us to the fundamental question. How do we know if we have really believed? How do we know that God is pursuing us and God is holding us? Remember, the whole gospel of John is written, not just so we can look at this and be like, well, that's really cool. It's written, John 20, 30, it's written so that we might believe, you and I might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we might have life in his name. Friends, how do we know if we believe? How do we know if we've been made a child of God? How do we know that we've received his grace? How do we know we've received a radical transformation from above? How do we know that we're really satisfied in Jesus? How do we know that Jesus is in our inmost being? How do we know that our life is really different because of Jesus? How do we know that he has pursued us and is holding us? Well, I want to read you a quote from one of my favorite authors because I can't say it any better than this. Would you hear what he says of this? He says, Do not look inside yourself and ask, Am I a sheep? Am I a sheep? Turn your eyes and your ears to Jesus. And when he speaks, if you are drawn to listen to follow, you are a sheep. I'll read that again for us. Do not look inside yourself and ask, Am I a sheep? Am I a sheep? Turn your eyes and your ears to Jesus. And when he speaks, If you are drawn to listen and to follow, you are a sheep. He goes on. This is the evidence that you are born of God, that you listen eagerly to his words and follow. Okay, listen to that again. This is the evidence that you are born of God, that you listen eagerly to his words and follow. Jesus said in John 8, 47, He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. Only those who are born of God hear his words and believe and follow. Do not look for signs of ecstasy or for outward changes of circumstance. Look to Jesus. And if you are drawn to listen and obey, you are born of God and are a sheep of Christ. Did you hear that? If you are drawn to listen to obey the words of Christ, you know you are a sheep of Christ. It doesn't say you know you're a sheep if you've walked down an aisle, shaken a pastor's hand, prayed a particular prayer, given to the church, been through a clap. No. When you hear the words of Jesus, are they like life to you? Are you drawn to them? Do you hear them? Do you want to follow them? Is there a desire in your heart to want to follow them? Friends, if we hear the words of Jesus and we hear them when we study the word of God, when the word of God is being taught to you, when you're reading the word of God on your own, friends, if there is no recognition of the words of Jesus in life in your life, and if there is no hunger for them and no desire that comes to obey them, friends, we are not of his sheep. We need to cry out to him. Our hope is not in all the external stuff we do. Is are we responding to his voice? My friends, when we hear his word, the sheep recognize his voice. And we know he's our good shepherd. And we know he's holding us. And we respond to it. And there's a desire, not that we're perfect, but there's a desire in our heart to want to follow it. Friends, that's a pretty good indication. We know the good shepherd. And we're his sheep. With that in view, I want to read us verses 28 and 29. I want you to listen to this one last time before we come to a close. Jesus says, I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. Friends, are you finding that security in your life today? Knowing that he is holding you. Let's take it one step further back. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me. Friends, is that true of your life? Is that true of my life? That do we hear his voice? Does he know us? 
and do we follow him? My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Would you pray with me? Father, what a precious thought it is to know that we are pursued by you, that we are loved by you. God, that we can call you our Father because of what Christ has done for us. And God, I pray you would remind us that it's all of your work. God, there was nothing in us that we would have run after you if you had not run after us. God, thank you for loving us before the foundation of the world. Thank you for calling us to yourself. Thank you for writing our, our book in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world was even started. And God, I pray in my heart and the heart of these precious brothers and sisters, would you let us treasure your pursuit? Would you let us treasure you holding us? Father, I pray we wouldn't take that lightly, God, that we can hear your voice, that you know us, that you are holding us. And just as when we were little children found such security being held by our parents, Lord, would you give us that security this week and that sense of your presence, knowing that all this week long, no matter what trial we go through, no matter what difficulty we go through, no matter who on this earth rejects us, knowing that if we are in Christ, you, God, are holding us. So, Lord, for these brothers and sisters, would you this week let that be their anchor? Would you let this, this week be a week to where they sense your presence, sense your pursuit, and sense your holding of them? And, Lord, may we be quick to give you the praise and the honor because it wasn't us pursuing you, it was you pursuing us. And, Lord, I pray that you would work through us this week as you pursue other people. But the sheep who are, you've already claimed who yet, have yet to believe, and God, that we might be faithful to be your mouthpieces this week to speak of your goodness to those you are drawing to yourself. Lord, I've met many of these brothers and sisters and heard their stories, and, Lord, see such evidence of their love for you, see such evidence that they hear your voice and recognize your voice and follow you and long to follow you, that when you speak, they hear and they obey. Well, I don't know everyone in this room. And so, God, I pray if there's someone in this room, and when they hear this, they know they're not drawn to your voice. They may be doing all the external religious stuff, and outwardly they may appear very moral and very religious, but in their heart of hearts, they know that they don't recognize your voice, and there's no appeal in their heart to when they hear your word. God, would you this day, in your grace to them, pursue them, and break them of any reliance upon self-righteousness, self-works, religious stuff. And would you instead reach down and grab them and, Father, pursue them. God, for those of us who know you, would you fill our hearts with awe and wonder in the gospel this day of what you've done for us. And Lord, may we return it to you in thanksgiving and praise, not living our life as we want to live this week, but, God, hearing your word, following you, sensing your presence day by day. God, I pray through your work, that would be our experience this week, and our lives would be forever different. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song?